Now tell us, why did the department find it necessary to have the ex-offender conference that happened this week, on when, starting on Wednesday and Thursday? Uh, once again, thank you for the opportunity. The little background to this is that uh, for the fifth uh, administration of government, uh, Deputy Minister Talam Kosha had a roadshow literally visiting all our provinces, our regions, and visiting so many of our correction facilities and speaking to various stakeholders and uh, partners, and also attended the higher level uh, meetings at the strategic level. So flowing from that, uh, he realized that although there's good work that has been done by correctional services over the last uh, 21 years of freedom, but there remains huge gaps which still have to be uh, addressed in uh, really creating a situation as envisaged in the MVP of a situation where, as he said yesterday, ordinary citizens and a young girl can be able to walk around even at night without the fear of being abused, raped or killed, mm-hmm. as it was envisaged originally by people. So he realized that there's this gap that uh, to a large extent, uh, although there's, there has been a paradigm shift in correctional services from purely being a security facility to focusing on rehabilitation and social reintegration. There's still a lot of work to be done to broaden and increase the scope and the impact of social reintegration interventions. And uh, so that's why he convened, he directed the department that he should convene that the conference of ex-offenders. And we brought so many organizations of these ex-offenders, small organizations and a little bigger one, combination of all of them. We had 360 uh, ex-offenders as delegates in that conference, and then the rest of that 500 was uh, partners, stakeholders, and because from each one of the regions we got at least two representatives of uh, NGOs that are working with ex-offenders. Mm. So that said, that, that conference was aimed at saying what exactly are their concerns, where are the gaps, what are their suggestions in terms of what needs to happen? What kind of pockets of excellence? Because some of them, despite the insufficient or poor support system out there, they have set up structures, they have worked very hard to create what we call pockets of excellence. So a lot of those pockets of excellence were also shared at the conference with some of the ex-offenders saying, this is what we've done. We have established a factory, we're manufacturing coffins, we have established a farm, we have employed so many parolees. Uh, in Popo, in the Eastern Cape, and all over. So we were saying these are good examples of what role should they also play in terms of dealing with what society faces as challenges, contributing to unemployment, and secondly, contributing in fighting crime and preventing crime. Because remember, the country adopted crime prevention as a cardinal intervention to help create a safer society. But offenders themselves need to play that role. And during the conference, we had some people that were outlining what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they come together, they've got lots of volunteers of uh, ex-offenders, parolees. They go to various schools to tell our children, and particularly problematic schools, problem schools, problem children in problematic schools, to tell the children that crime just does not pay. This is what I went through. I don't want you to go through what I experienced for you to start realizing that you've wasted completely your life. Mm-hmm. So the, so a lot of people are making those contributions. But what the, some of the gaps that have been identified is the fact that 
there is no dedicated support to these various structures and these ex-offenders going forward. As a result, one of the resolutions of the conference is that correctional services must set up a dedicated ex-offenders desk, which will assist in terms of coordinating a lot of uh, splinter and uncoordinated work that is taking place in terms of uh, facilitating social reintegration. Mm-hmm. So, but besides that as well, the conference agreed that even ex-offenders, it it is such a nightmare to have to coordinate and have to work with a plethora of organizations that are sometimes tripping over each other because they're duplicating the same thing and they are all cry- crying for help. So there has to be some form of coordination among themselves, So, which is one of the things that will be facilitated going forward. Mm-hmm. But over and above that, it's been raised very emphatically that the responsibility of educating the public, number one, about the fact that there are a number of many offenders, thousands of offenders, that go into our facilities and benefit from rehabilitation programs, and uh, we invest phenomenally as a nation, as taxpayers, utilizing the 20 billion given to correctional services. But when they go out, some of them go in there completely literate, but they're coming out with the diplomas, with technical qualifications, with degrees, and you name them. But then this is does not expect them, does not welcome them back. Now the question is, whatever that we may have invested using the 20 billion allocated to us at the taxpayers, then it goes to waste mm-hmm. because of that problem. So we think it is a very complex matter, which cannot, we cannot find simple, simple solution. It means everybody on board. That is why the deputy minister was emphasizing that government, private sector must lead from the front in this regard. And as a result, one of the conclusions or resolutions of the conference is that the recommendations of, for example, a commission that was set to look into this issue of employability and criminal records has got to be taken to a coordinating team that, as the Minister uh, Minister Advocate uh, Masuta announced during his budget vote speech, that he's going to convene a colloquium to open up a dialogue on the handling of the criminal records in South Africa because mm-hmm. the regime that exists currently is nearly 10 years in place, and uh, but it seems in many areas it's not working well. It is counter-working against what also other agents of government are working to advance. Mm-hmm. Now, in our report that we heard from Leela Machnes, there was a charge from one of the ex-offenders that indicated that there was uh, that that the the ex-offenders are not properly prepared, uh, you know, to to integrate with the community, and there's no structures and there's not adequate preparation. Do you concur with that? And that did that come out of the uh, conference as well? You know what 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 happens? What is important? is to say we are increasingly improving rehabilitation, access to rehabilitation programs, and we are also focusing now, particularly now that uh, it's almost 10 years since the introduction of the white paper corrections, on how are we going to assess the impact of our interventions. Because just in the last six years, we've improved full-time schools from 1 to 14. We have increased significantly numbers of offenders that have access technical training, because we've trained over 10,000 in the last two years, uh, offenders in technical uh, skills, like which, which are required by the industry, the plumbing, the motor mechanic, you name them, and all those things. We have done quite a lot of other things. But some may not have benefited fully from that. We, we, we can admit that. And then secondly, is that there are other things which may not be, because we have a pre-release program. Before they get released, there are a number of basic uh, 
pro basic activities and uh, that are being done as part of the pre-release program of correctional services. Mm-hmm. But there was an, an, an ex-offender there who was actually reporting on behalf of one of the commissions, the Moral Regeneration uh, Commission, and I think it's Collins Comano. Uh, he stood up and he gave his report, and when he was giving his report, he outlined that some of the weaknesses that are there uh, are, are that indeed they're not fully prepared to integrate back to society. He made an example of someone who was incarcerated for 25 years. Now, when he comes out, he does not even know how to even propose to have love relationship. So, as a result, part of that, they end up, some of them, making all the botchups and, and end up going back to our facility. So this ex-offender says, as themselves as ex-offenders, they need to make it a point that the rehabilitated ex-offenders, they need to set up systems and support systems and make it a point that there are mentors that are identified in communities that are going to receive and guide these ex-offenders to mm-hmm. reintegrate back to society, understanding some of the basic things. They went in there, there were no iPads. They are coming out their iPads. They went in there, you know, life, life has completely changed mm-hmm. outside. So there's a need for facilitating that they get reintegrated yes. back to society. Now, Manalise, what you are citing is that mm-hmm. about, about remember states of South Africa's release that about 33 of our youths are growing up without father figure models in their own families. So these are some of the major gaps that are facing yes. the rest of society rather than just correction services. So but, we need everybody mm. to get behind these efforts. Mr. Wallala, I would like you to hold on because we also joined on the line uh, by Dr. Seth Cooper, a psychologist and the president of the Pan-African Psychology Union. Uh, Dr. Seth Cooper, good morning to you and welcome. Good morning, everyone. Now, Doctor, first and foremost, is it possible for ex-offenders or even criminals to be rehabilitated? Yes, most definitely it is possible, and I think that the spokesperson has pointed out uh, quite uh, eloquently the kinds of things that can happen in order to create that environment of uh, rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. Now, is prison the right way of rehabilitating offenders, though? That, I think, is a major criminal justice question and (laughs) goes to the heart of the problem we have. Indeed, I think we are tending to follow the American route where we just tend to lock up people. We do not have the kinds of preventative measures that we have to preclude people from falling into the trap that we're talking about that ends up with them being incarcerated. And that, I think, is the bigger issue because if we look at the percentages, they are shocking. If we look at the overcrowding, the the overcrowding is notorious. And the uh, other advert is we have tended to privatize uh, prisons. It's become a money-making industry and so on, all of which uh, internationally have shown that they don't work. Mm-hmm. So we need to relook this entire uh, approach. Uh, the naming of the the entire department, correctional services, is a good one, 
but that we should now start moving uh, deeper into the problem. There are also, if I may, uh, difficulties with uh, some of the things that uh, have been raised in this conference, such as uh, uh, trying to reduce the period of notifiability and so on, because there are other laws, there are major different uh, laws that are in place that require that a person uh, has a prison record, for instance, and that is retained for a certain period of years. Mm-hmm. So the, the reasons are, are, are legend because we need to know if there is a child molester, if there is a murderer, that this remains on uh, the books of society, as it were, so that people are known for what they did. Uh, And many of the crimes that we're talking about are very serious offenses, so we shouldn't just minimize them and treat them all as if they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. We live in a very dangerous, we live in a very uncertain society, and the upshot of all this is it's nice, it's it's, uh, laudable, but at the same time, society's interest, we mustn't forget the correctional services. Prison is the ultimate uh, resort of any society mm-hmm. for those who have offended against that society. Mm-hmm. And that contradiction needs to be tackled more seriously and more thoughtfully. Uh, but Tabang uh, Makwetla, the Deputy Minister, has started the process, and I think it needs to be seen to look at further conclusions uh, and not think that you know one conference, one get-together will sort it out. The other point I want to raise is that the spokesperson has pointed out there's a plethora, his words, plethora of organizations stepping over each other and so on. And it seems that they, they've been done for a few reasons. One of, obviously, there must be good motivation for doing it. But I think there's also a motivation people see there may be money available from correctional services and agencies to do this kind of thing so they start competing with each other because we also live in a climate where unemployment is massive. And that factor needs to be considered as well because there's huge unemployment. So who would you employ? A young person who comes clean out of school versus an offender. So those are some of the issues mm-hmm. that we, we need to look at yes. as well. Now, Doctor, there's one question I'm going to post to you, but we're running uh, out of time. Uh, we also have an ex-offender, Colin Scumalo, on the line. He is from the organization. He's the president of the organization called Fear uh, Free Life, but we'll talk to him just after 7 o'clock. But just coming back to you, Mr. Wolela, uh, from the Department of Justice and Correctional Services, uh, tell us now about the resolutions briefly, the main resolutions from the conference, and what will happen with the information that was gathered from the, from, from the conference. We appreciate uh, very well the doctor's contribution. It's absolutely wonderful. And that's one of the objectives of uh, the Deputy Minister and the Department is is to ensure that there's an open dialogue around these issues because they're complex and they require the best brains of South Africa because we believe we can succeed. Uh, I've hinted on the resolutions. 
one of them a dedicated desk in correctional services and the setting up of an interim coordinating structure for this plethora of organizations that are tripping over each other and in terms of scope and and their work. And uh, the other one is about stepping up and strengthening the public education campaign so that people can know that there are interventions that are being made and then we need to be a little more receptive to those that are rehabilitated. As it was stated by the doctor, it's important for people to demonstrate that they have changed and about with what they do and how they add value to society, which is critical. And the other one, the minister, the deputy minister has directed that immediately after this uh, conference, he's going to bring together the team and the leadership of the department to sit down and tease out all the teams that have been agreed to at the conference so that a clear roadmap is refined going forward and drive the implementation of the resolutions that were taken. He has promised that uh, within a reasonable period there will be a follow-up session where uh, a report will be given and progress made. But he says, which is wonderful, is that Whatever progress will be given there, it's not going to be an academic progress or a desktop progress because they themselves, ex offenders, will be there as giving testimony to the progress which will be claimed at that point by the team he's going to put together. So which which was quite encouraging because the number of problems from conferences that they talk, people go out and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time. That was Manalisi Wolela, the spokesperson at the Department of Justice and Correctional Services. Now, joining us uh, on the line, uh, we have um, Dr. Seth Cooper, a psychologist and president of the Pan-African Psychology Union, as well as uh, an ex-offender um, uh, uh, who is also the president of an organization called Fear Free Life. Collins Kumalo. Let me say a good morning to both of you. Collins, a very good morning to you. Good morning uh, to your listeners. And uh, Dr. South, once again, a very good morning to you. Let me just come back to the one question I wanted to pose to you. Uh, is it reasonable, Doctor, for communities for not welcoming ex-prisoners? Because we are asking our, our listeners this morning uh, about this particular issue. Uh, the question that we pose to them is, is whether or not, or what are some of... Um, what can we provide as a society to ex-offenders to provide them that second chance to integrate and play a meaningful, uh, economically viable role in society? But for them as a community, um, you know, uh, uh, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it okay, so to speak, or unreasonable for the communities for not welcoming these ex-offenders? I think the levels of the kinds of crime that we confront and the huge insecurity and uncertainty that exists in our uh, country as as generally says that people have reached a certain stage where their tolerance levels are being tried severely. And it's easy from the comfort of our own um, middle-class backgrounds to say, yes, we should do these things. But in many of the communities that... Uh, most of the offenders will return to. People have reached that stage where they say so much and no further. So, they, and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the, the uh, root causes of the difficulties we confront are deeply embedded in the 
socioeconomic, political fabric of our society, and those need to be attended to. So uh, any approach that looks at this issue as uh, something sui generis on its own account will fail. It needs to be looked at contextually. We need to look at the competing interests. And in many of those communities, the rates of unemployment are exceedingly high. So people are going to say, well, why should we bother about these guys who have offended against us versus our own now who need those jobs? So those are the conflicting and contending uh, forces that will emerge in society. And there needs to be serious, careful thought given to how to mediate that uh, minefield. Right. Now, Collins, you are the president of the organization called Fear Free Life. Now, as the president of that organization, you yourself is is an ex-offender. What has been your experience as an ex-offender when it comes to reintegration in both the community as as well as finding employment? Good morning. One of the challenges that we as ex-offenders are facing is acceptability back into the society. The continual stigmatization of people that were in prison to say that is a prisoner, telling people, telling their children don't associate with that person and this and that. Those are some of the challenges. Even from our own family perspective, family can accept you for one, two days. Next time they have turned against you, the support that they gave you when you came out, they don't give you as they promised to give you. That's one major challenge. And in terms of employability, it's a huge challenge. But mm. we as FFL Life now, we have been knocking on doors of, of the corporate together, the Department of Correctional Services, the Social Integration Department. If I can, I can tell you now, there are ex-offenders already working for a company called Pride Life, already distributing uh, insurance policies. There are ex-offenders now employed by Closer. You can even call the CEO of Closer, uh, Mr. Alexander, I can confirm that. That as I'm speaking now, the ex-offender we have placed, we are discussing with the HR director to continue to place others into Closer and their sister companies. He raised his hand and said, I want to take a risk as a CEO and say, let me see what these guys can do. I say to him, there are men and women from prison who are serious about not being criminals anymore, who want to change their lives. They want this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it is quite it, it is quite a challenge, but it is doable. There are those South Africans who are saying we want to give these guys not only a second chance, but another chance to be themselves mm-hmm. and to be economically participant in the in the economy mm-hmm. of the country. Now, Mr. Kumalo, what other challenges are ex-offenders dealing with when when coming back from prison besides reintegration and and employment? You see, one one, one of the main challenges is that we're dealing with when you come outside is 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 is, is allowing yourself as an ex-offender to come to a standard of acknowledging that you are not a criminal anymore and accepting that situation that you have transformed you're not a criminal and for you to live that life of saying i can live with three pairs of shoes and three pairs of trousers and this and accept the situation until such a time you are able to buy these things for yourself those are the major challenges that i think is mental cap- being capacitated mental and emotional and spiritual to face the outside world I will urge our our partner the DCS that upon our release there must be follow up programs to help us to be capacitated in that regard. Hence we have come up after this conference with a, a program that we call mentorship of new parolees into the outside world. That is the major challenge. And well the other things of acceptance, the stigmatization, unemployment and adjusting to the outside world, those are always always been there. 
ever since there was correctional services. But now there's, there's a need and an agency from the department to address those together with civil society organizations like ours and other, and other sister organizations that are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Cooper, how can ex-offenders prove that they have changed, especially those who committed serious crimes? I think the, uh, it, it's something that uh, has to come from within the individual. The individual needs to work towards that, needs to actually uh, show his uh, family, his close ones first, that things have changed. Uh, there, there needs to be attitudinal and other behavioral changes. And once that hurdle, and uh, that's a major hurdle, is overcome, the victim mentality is overcome because uh, let's, let's be very crass about this and realistic. Uh, offenders have offended against society in mm-hmm. some way. And once that is overcome and the person begins to actually uh, acknowledge the role they have played, uh, remove any feeling of entitlement, uh, then I think half the battle is mm-hmm. won to changing the minds of society Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Mr. Kumalo, just to come back to you, what is the way forward now? And, and also tell us more about your fear-free life organization and how can uh, prisoners getting or ex-offenders getting in touch with you uh, to assist them? Uh, what I can say, the way forward is, number one, we, 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 we've got to continue to educate society, the public sector, and the private sector that there are these people that have been in the system. Some of these people are not entirely criminals. Somebody fought with somebody, they by mistake got arrested, and they got 12 months, they come back, they lost their job. That person is not a criminal, so it's just a fight. Somebody was just, maybe they had a chief with his wife, they went to prison, and their life is over. So there must be a real look into how we say people are reintegrated. Because if we continue this, we'll have many people in the society that cannot get jobs because of their criminal record. And I want to also talk about what Doctor was, what you asked Doctor about uh, people that did dangerous criminals like armed robber and murder and, 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 other, and other crimes. Mm-hmm. If if the, the Department of Correctional Services, when they release us from prison, they are saying they trust their system, which is the CMC and the parole board. And for life, as you go up to the stage of the National Council of Correctional Services and the minister for you to be released from prison after serving a certain period in prison. Once those institutions are trusted by the department, it's actually saying we trust our systems. These people are now outside. And... I raised it in the discussion in the panel. I say, if the department trusts their system, then the department must be able to say, let us employ these guys to be plumbers, welders, and even do other other things like motor mechanics within the Department of Coroner Service, taking the lead in the employability of ex-offenders as a solution to dealing with this thing of, of re-offending of people that come from prison. Just to go back and explain what we, what we do as Fearful Life, we started in prison addressing crime and gangsterism and youth development and youth mentorship and leadership and mentorship of new parallels, skills development and crime prevention and awareness in schools, universities and in communities. That is what we do. We work with the Department of Correctional Services in their centers in schools, ensuring that ex-offenders are trained in crime prevention strategies are trained in public speaking and giving motivational talks in schools and varsities and communities. That is what we do. Also, we deal with social integration of ex-offenders into the community to say, be holistically 
fully integrated financially, economically, spiritually, and, and socially. That is the door that doors that we're knocking upon. Mm-hmm. What I want to say to, to, to the ex-offenders out there is that we as ex-offenders, we have bad role models in the community before our arrest. It is our time to rise up now and, and become the agents of change that we want to see and say to our young people and to the society at large, crime does not pay. The only mm-hmm. way it can pay you is, is going yes. to prison for a very long time. We are examples of that. So we, we have to stand up and say no to crime. Yeah.